This is our last Sunday of Ruth. It has been an amazing journey. It's been a fun story. Uh, it's been something that I believe God uh, wanted us to hear. Uh, I think any time that we open his word and it's preached from this stage, that that's what he wants us to hear because that's what he wants us to read and live our lives by. Two things that are going on in this church right now that if you've been thinking about or something that uh, you've been kicking around or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it is our growth track one. And what that is, our membership, it lets you know pretty much what we believe, why we believe what we believe. And so it gives you everything that you need to know about our makeup and, and who we are as a church. And so that's going to be today after our second service at one o'clock. And uh, child care is provided for that. But if you haven't signed up for that, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that uh, track today at uh, one o'clock. So uh, if you haven't done that or you've been coming for a very long time but you've never committed, hey, listen, you can't walk onto a car lot and buy a car and drive it the rest of your life and go, I'm going to buy it one day. I'm just going to keep driving it. It really doesn't work that way. Hey, we want you guys to come and invest and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. So that's going to be today at 1 o'clock if you want to have the opportunity to do that. Also, Saturday, July 7th is our uh, first Saturday serve day that we have every month. And uh, this Saturday, we are providing sports drinks and snacks for the fire departments at Tupelo and Sotillo. And so if you want to be a part of that and you want to help with that, you can text uh, 662, and I wrote this down because I knew I was going to forget the number, uh, 493-2311. 662-493-2311. And all you have to do is text the word serve, and it'll give you an option uh, to let them know, and you'll be contacted to what you can help with and what's left on the list. So if you haven't, if you want to be a part of that, or maybe you're like, hey, I can't commit to go, but I can commit to provide something or bring something, then you have that opportunity, okay? So that's just something you guys have in front of you that we have going on, okay? I just wanted to get the kind of the um, house, house stuff out of the way, and then let's just dig in to what's happening in Ruth. You guys know the routine by now. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to pray for me, uh, and that we're just going to ask God to just be a part of this service today, because I know he has you here for a reason. He has me up here for a reason, because he's God, and he knew this was going to happen before we did. And so we want to allow him to be able to, um, for us to be able to open our hearts, uh, listen with our ears, uh, but hear him with our hearts today, what God's trying to tell us. Let's pray. Father God, as we get ready to dig into this last chapter, Father, I pray uh, that what we take from this and what we get from this will be uh, life-altering. God, we pray um, for each other right now as we lift each other up in this time. I pray for those who are here that need you and I, I pray for those who are here that are away from you. God, you know their hearts, you know their minds, you know what they're thinking, you know what's going on in their life right now. So God, I pray that you will be real to them today. You are the God of the universe, you are bigger than all things, but God, I pray today you will make yourself small enough to be amongst us. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Kind of a recap from Ruth, Naomi and her husband Elimelech load up and they move to Moab, which is a foreign country. Uh, it was kind of against them to move over there in a lot of ways because they are moving outside of Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. There's, there's a famine going on, there's no food, so they run there to supposedly take care of their family to be able to eat and figure out what they're going to do. During the process, a short time of being there, Elimelech dies. 
After Lemonlick dies, uh, Naomi doesn't know what to do. Her two sons, uh, Chilion and uh, uh, Malon, basically take Moabite, Moabite wives, which is also what they're not supposed to do. And then they die a short time later, leaving Naomi there with two daughter-in-laws, and she doesn't know what to do. So Naomi decides to go back home because she hears that the famine is lifted, and they have food in Bethlehem again. They are now uh, the house of bread, and so she leaves, and she goes all the way back. And on her way back, uh, Ruth and her sister Orpah try to follow her, but she says no. There's nothing here for you. God has cursed me. You need to stay. Ruth gives this wonderful plea. I'm going with you anyway. I love you. Where you die, I'll die. The whole waterworks. They weep together, cry together. Finally, she gives such a convincing thing that Naomi says, okay, let's go. And Ruth follows her to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, she, everyone notices and they're like, oh, we want you, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Naomi and they're, you know, her name means sweetness. But she says, no, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara because uh, that means bitter because God has dealt with me bitterly. And so from that point on, Naomi and Ruth are there in Bethlehem. She's miserable, doesn't know what to do. And then finally they have to go out because they have to eat. So they go out into the fields where they can get the remaining stuff left uh, after they get through doing crops. There's stuff left that they're supposed to leave for people who need help. So uh, Naomi and, uh, sends Ruth, and Ruth goes out and starts gathering that stuff up, and she sees a guy named Boaz. Boaz sees her. She sees Boaz. There's a definite connection. They don't know what's going on right now. And then we finally see that develop into a beautiful love story. And then her mother-in-law says, hey, I want you to go lay at his feet. We're not going to get into that again. It was creepy last week. It'll be creepy this week. She went and laid by his feet, uh, and, and it symbolized uh, him covering her with his garment, which meant that he was going to provide for her, take care of her. And at the end of chapter 3, he tells her that I'm going to give you all these things that you ask. I'm going to marry you, but I want to do it the right way. And in order to do that the right way, there was another heir that was the Redeemer kinsman that is before him. And so he wanted to make it right and talk with him. And so chapter 4 literally picks up at this next moment in chapter 4. Verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 12, so uh, stay with me. Now Boaz had gone up into the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men, the elders of the city, and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then, Bo, I, I love this part. He tells him, he's like, there's this land, you can buy it, you can redeem it. And the guy goes, I will redeem it. But then Boaz is like, well, there's more. It's kind of like when you go to buy a car and it's kind of like, this car runs great, it's, it's perfect, hey, the wheels are good on it, but the engine leaks oil like crazy. So he's fixing to give him the engine leaks, you know, because the guy's like all in for this. Like, yeah, I'll, he just says, I'll redeem it. But then Boaz says, um... Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for, I mean, for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. 
Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm transactions. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. You cannot go and buy something and give him your sandal and say, hey, this is a deal. Some of you are going to try this. Don't go into a store and take your shoe off and go, I'd like a Coke and a candy bar. Hey, it's a deal. We made a deal. It doesn't work that way, but this in their time, this was kind of a custom. I, I thought about this long and hard because sometimes when I read stuff in the Bible, my mind goes to like all kinds of different places and I thought, when did we get from taking off a shoe to spitting in our hand? You ever done that as a kid? Some of you are grossed out. Hey, raise your hand if you've ever done that as a kid. Some of you may not want to. I did that when I was a kid because that, that meant that was a bond. And if you broke that, bad things happened. I remember one time me and my cousins... It's my brother and my cousins, and we were going to do a, a, like, we were making a deal about something, and we were going to do it with blood. I, I, I mean, this is really gross, I know, but we're, like, sitting there, and I'm, I'm squeamish. And so I'm like, I'm, I know the rest of them have already cut their hands, and they've got, like, blood on their hand, and I'm like, this, is, this doesn't seem right for some reason. But I cut my hand, and we shook hands, and I don't even remember what the deal was, because it shows you how important it was. But if I ever remember what it is, I'm going to go back. Do you remember that day when we were nine years old and we cut ourselves? I'm calling it in. But, but basically, taking off your shoe, this was a way that he was saying that, that, that this deal is done, this deal is made. It was the custom of their time. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to, to Chilion and Malon, also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of, of his uh, native place. You are witnesses this day, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who were both barren at the time, that when God gave them children, he says, that they may be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily of Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so, first thing I want us to get from these first 12 chapters is, I want you, and we need to be a person of action. We need to be a person of action, because we see here that Boaz, he didn't sit on it, he didn't wait, he didn't drag his feet. You remember I said last week, hey, if you got a, if you got a guy that, that you've been dating for seven years and he hasn't given you a ring and he's not committed, if he ain't married you in seven years, he ain't going to marry you. Boaz didn't drag his feet. He was like, this is the promise that I've made to you, this is what's going to happen, so he is a person of action. And in our faith and in our walk, we need to be people of action. I thought long and hard about Boaz, and here's something I've come to a conclusion. I was reading the other night, and, and this just really spoke to my heart what God was telling me. Do you realize who Boaz's mother was? Boaz's mother was Rahab, who was the prostitute that hid the spies at the wall of Jericho. And because of her faithfulness, 
to hide the spies. Because of her faithfulness to hide the spies, God spared her when Jericho fell. His mother was a person of action. His mother was somebody to be revered. It also made me think when we talked about all the people that how he had a good standing and how everybody looked to Boaz and he was a godly person. He had pretty good stock to come from and his mother who moved, who was a Canaanite and she was not even from Israel herself. So Boaz knew what Ruth was going through. And I think because of his mother, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm pretty sure, and that you could, I know you're not supposed to say it, but I'm saying that, I'm pretty positive that his mother's influence on his life helped him in how he treated Ruth and how he saw Ruth because he didn't see Ruth as a Moabite and someone to be despised. Just like Rahab used to be a prostitute, but God redeemed. And through that came Boaz, who's going to redeem Ruth. That's a beautiful picture to me. I mean, that, last night I was reading over it again, and I was just like, that's, that's beautiful to me. Because of his mother, she was a person of action. So how can we be a person of action ourselves? Maybe you've been dragging your feet on something and God's telling you to quit dragging your feet. Be a person of action. Don't wait around for it to fall in your lap. Be a person of action. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to start reading my Bible eventually. Just start. Be a person of action. Oh, I'm going to start getting, I'm going to start being regular on Sundays. No, be a person of action. Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to get, some of you, this is going to, I know we, we, you know, at church, like, oh, don't step on our toes. And I know some, I'm going to start getting to church on time. Be a person of action. Y'all know who you are. I see you every Sunday. There's something about being a person of action, and Boaz was that person. In verses 13 through 17, we get to see some, some really good news, and I love this, this little section. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Y'all can read that for yourselves. You're all grown folks. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Honeymoon baby in the Bible. It's a honeymoon baby because God let her conceive. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be, you, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. If you go all the way back to Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I want to read it again, then we're going to go back and read that last part. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. 
And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So we see in chapter 1 this picture of Naomi who is distraught. She is depressed. She thinks God is against her. She's lost everything that she has. All she's gained is a mother, I mean a daughter-in-law. And so we see this despair in verses 19 through 20. And then we get to read in Ruth 4, we get to read this. The same women that we're asking, is that Naomi? These are the same women that are praising. These are the same women that named the son. These are the same women that she was against. But listen to this. It says, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Obed means a servant, workman. The second thing I want us to take from that, those passages of Scripture is it started in death and it ended in new life. In other words, it started with three funerals. It ended with a wedding and a birth announcement. God can take our darkest, deepest times and as long as we stay close to him during the midst of it, at the end of our time and end of our life, whether anything good comes to us or not, there is something for us in the end that is greater than anything this world can offer. And she lays that baby in her lap. And I can almost feel and sense from the scripture that the happiness that Naomi had to have felt. Because now the cloud is completely and utterly lifted. And they're praising God. And they're wishing blessings upon this family. And, and Ruth is no longer the Moabite woman. Ruth is now, she is the wife of Boaz. She is the, the mother of Obed, who then is going to be the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and so forth and so on, until we get to the point that Jesus comes. And when we look at all of this and we think about Jesus and we think about Jesus' bloodline, I was reading something as, as getting ready for all these. And one of the things I read says that a lot of pastors like to skip the last little bit, the 18 through 22, because it's just names. But to me, if it was important enough for God to orchestrate for these to be written in the scripture, then we should give them uh, the proper reading. If I butcher a name, just bear with me. Verses 18 through 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, if you want like the full Jesus genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, you will get all the way from where he, it started to when Jesus came down to Joseph. And you will see that that is the bloodline that he was supposed to be a part of. That was what God wanted him to come from. And so we see in the Old Testament, God is lining all of that up to this point, to where Jesus, and this is the third point, I want you to take this in because this is where we're going to spend the majority of this message. Jesus is our one true Redeemer. Jesus Christ is our one true redeemer. As we see the beautiful picture of how Boaz came and he redeemed Ruth, Jesus came to this earth, died a horrible death so that he could redeem us. 
And so when I think about that and when I see that, that Jesus is our true redeemer, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I mean chapter 1, sorry, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I was in 15. Verse 30. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. That he is our redemption. He is our salvation. And so Jesus is the one true redeemer. The name, I love the name Jesus, and the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. So Jesus is our Savior. He saves. He redeems us. Well, there are five things that I want you guys to to listen to that we're going to talk about. Five things that Jesus redeems us from. The first is Jesus redeems us from sin. The sin that we have in our life, Jesus redeems you from your sin. I don't know your sins. I know that you all have them. I know that I have them. I know that these are things in our life that we need, so Jesus is, redeems us of our sin. So we see this in Psalm 130, verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So Israel itself, a sinful place, that God will redeem them from that, a kind of a foreshadowing of, of like a sacrifice, something to be given for our iniquities, for our sin. And so we see this through this line, and, 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 and it's just to me that Jesus came and he died for your sins, your filthiness, your dirtiness. And you may not even know what that is. You may be living a life right now that you do not realize is a sin. Or maybe you're keeping a closed eye to it or a blind eye to it and you're not paying much attention to the sin in your life. But Jesus came that he may die for that. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned. Look at the person next to you. They're a sinner. Look up on this stage. I am a sinner. But Christ died for that sin. And so he redeems us from our sin. Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That God wants us, and even in our lawlessness, that God wants, he he wanted to take, redeem us from that. He wanted to take us out of that. And so when I read those three things and I think about God, how Jesus redeems us from our sin, it it just, I'm, I'm in awe. That he would even care enough that the God who has to, that makes everything turn and everything go and that our earth spins the right way and if it's even off a little bit and everything that goes in place, that God cares significantly about me and my sin and that he redeems me from that. Did you know we're a lot like Ruth and Rahab in the sense that we're foreigners? Because this is not really our home. This earth is, is not the plan that God had intended. 
And so he redeems us from our sin. The second thing is, is Jesus redeems us from the law. And when I say law, if you ever read in the New Testament, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and these guys, they were so in the law and everything to the letter that it, it, they stopped caring about people, that they stopped caring about things. And, and so they became these hard-shelled, almost evil people. And so Jesus came to redeem us from that law because he came to fulfill it. He came to make it better. Galatians 4 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoptions as sons. When he came, when he came to redeem us, in the fullness of time, had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So those that felt like they were restricted by the law, those that felt like they were in this place, that there's that Jesus, he came, that we may be rescued from that. I love Jesus because anytime he fought, or not really fought, but argued or debated, Jesus was always on the side of, like one of my favorite is when uh, with the Pharisees are like, but what if somebody, you know, on the Sabbath, their, their mule's stuck in a ditch? Are you supposed to just leave them in the ditch? Are you supposed to go and help them? Now you think you're supposed to go and help them. Hey, listen, uh, the law says, I, I know you're hurt, I know you're in anger, but I can't move far enough to go help you. And so Jesus came and he redeemed us from that. The third thing that Jesus redeems us from is Jesus redeemed, uh, redeems us from empty religion. Listen, I see a lot of people and you may be one of them right now, but you have an empty religion. One part that I think of when I think of empty religion is when you just come to church just so you can just say, hey, I was there, and then you go out and live your life that is completely, utterly opposite than what you act like when you're here. You have an empty religion. There's no life in that. There's no fruit in that. But Jesus is a relationship. He's not a religion. I'm not Southern Baptist because the Bible says Southern Baptist is what you are. I am a follower of Jesus first. I am a relationship with Christ. And and when you're in a relationship with someone, here's the thing. You want to know everything about them. You want to learn them. You you, want to be a part of who they are. You know their voice. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want a religion with you. This isn't just to pay your dues and go home. This is a life. This is a lifestyle. First Peter 17 through 19. Chapter 1. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. I want you to listen to this. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A Savior who was without blemish, who was beaten, 
who was crucified, who was spat upon, who was cussed, and and had no reasoning. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't evil. He wasn't someone that, that people feared. Jesus, perfect by his blood. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If you're part of a place that you have no part of that is a dead religion. That is not a relationship. It's empty. If you're a part of something but not a part of it, if you come and go, and I know I know, I may be stepping on your toes, but listen, if you come and just go and that's all this place means to you, that's all the body of Christ means to you, you have an empty religion. Because it's, there's nothing in it. But when you have a relationship... When you know somebody and their their innermost who they are, my wife and I, when we we hadn't been married long, and and my brother and them had a game. I think my sister it was called compatibility, and it's a game to where uh, you have something, and then uh, both of you have to write it down. And if you both write down the same thing, then you you know you win the game. And I'm telling you, me and my wife, and I'm you know I'm not saying we're just like you know psychic or anything. We murdered them. Man, we killed that game. Because you know why? Because I, I, I wanted to know her. I wanted to know everything about her. We were in a relationship. I wanted to be where she was. I, I wanted to know that she was okay. I wanted to help her when she needed help. The church is that. The body of Christ is that. It's a relationship. And the way the body works, if we have a thumb that's not feeling too good, then the rest of us have to get together and like, let's help the thumb. Some of you look like thumbs. But as a body of Christ, when Jesus saves us from empty religion, the fourth thing, this is something that we kind of try to make and it sounds like a fairy tale story, but it's not. Jesus redeems us from Satan. Let me be be the first to tell you, Satan is real. He wants to see you fall. He wants to see the church fall. He doesn't want to see Jesus succeed. He doesn't want you to succeed as a believer. And if you're lost, he wants you to think this is ridiculous, so you'll stay lost. Because if you stay lost and die and go to hell, he wins. But let me tell you something, and this is the good news. The great thing about the end of this book that we read is we win. He wins. Jesus wins. The final redemption is done. Victory has come. He redeems us from Satan. A lot of times we do a very good job um, as family and uh, sometimes not so good of a job that to where we, um, we allow Satan to have a foothold uh, in our house and in our household. And because of that, uh, if you got your Bibles, Acts 26, 18. These are the words of Jesus 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He's saying by faith in Jesus. He wants you to turn from darkness because he provides you a way out of darkness. Because here's the thing I've discovered in life. Where there is light, there is no darkness. And where there is darkness, there is no light. But Jesus is light. And when Jesus comes into your life, he reveals the darkness that is within you. And he reveals the things about you because Jesus is light. Fifth thing. Jesus redeems us from death. One of the things I've noticed about getting older is the people that I, like my parents' age, that you looked at and you go, man, these people are going to live forever. And the older I get, that I see that that's not, that's not true. At, at 42, and I know that's not old and by some standards, but, you know, I, I also, I mean, I think about this a lot. And maybe I'm morbid, I don't know, but... But like I'm on the downhill side of things. And sometimes it feels like it's moving pretty fast. But here's what I know. Even in my fear of death, because I don't care who you are, you're gonna we fear death. We fear dying. But because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, I don't I don't have fear of death. I don't I don't worry about death. When I look at it through the lens of Jesus, because he provides us a way out. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That does not read that we should get saved and that's it. That we should labor, that we should push forward, that this church, you should be inviting people at every corner of your time that you have when you see people. You should be telling them what Jesus did in your life. I was getting gas last night. It's one of my favorite times to talk to people, especially when the pumps at Kroger are so slow. But this guy and I, we had a conversation and we talked and he was a believer and, and he, he, we talked about where he went to church and I said, man, I, I've heard about your church and great things about that church. He said, I've heard of North Star. You guys handle snakes, right? No, but he said, I heard about your church. I hear great things about your church. We had this encouraging conversation. As believers, we have to be like Boaz and we have to be people of action. Because here's the thing, the things that we fear in life, Jesus has redeemed us from those. 
If you fear sin, if you fear death, if you fear the law, if you feel fear an empty religion, if you are a part of any of those things, the one true Redeemer redeems you from all of those things. And if you're here right now and you know that I'm talking to you, that Redeemer wants to redeem you from your sin. And the death that is coming to you that it, you cannot stop. I don't care what kind of medicine you take. I don't care what kind of keto diet you're on. I don't care what you're doing in life. Death is going to come to all of us. But because of Jesus, we have victory. And I'm grateful for his victory. And that same victory he provided to me, he can provide for you. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray, I pray, God, this did not fall upon deaf ears. I pray that you opened hearts to hear and listen. I pray that the Holy Spirit is at work in those who are struggling. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit is at work in those that are in an empty religion. They're not part of a relationship. They're just part of a social club. God, I pray for those right now that are lost in, in the sin that is in their life and Satan, they feel like Satan has defeated them. God, I pray that you will let them know that he has been defeated and he is, he is worthless. And God, he is empty. But you are full and you are worthy. God, I pray that you help them to see that, that they need you. God, I pray that you give them the boldness to fill out a card, but I pray that you even give them more boldness, boldness that they will come and talk to someone about the decision that they made that today. God, they may be wondering, like, how do I make that decision? God, I pray that you will allow them to know that as part of a relationship, you have conversations with people. God, I pray that they will have a conversation with you, that they will tell you, Father, that they are lost, that they have sin in their life, that they need you, and God, if they just call upon you, God, you will come into their heart. But if they call upon you, Father, it means that they're a person of action. Anytime you called upon people, Lord, there was an action that was involved. God, I pray that you will just allow them to take that step and to ask you into the heart to know that you died for them, to know that you're their redeemer, that you're our kinsman redeemer. God, for those that are away from you, those that have just gotten complacent in the church, I pray that you ignite a fire in them, God, that will be so bright that whoever they come in contact with them, God, are going to get burned or singed. Father, we pray all of this in your powerful, powerful name. Jesus, Yahweh saves. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. And then I want to pray for you. As we get ready to sing, maybe this is the time that God has given you for you to deal with the things that are going on in your life right now. Maybe God has spoken to you during this time. I pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit and God to talk to you and work to you. And that he will be real to you in this moment. For those of us who are believers and we have that victory from death, I pray that you will sing and let the creator of the universe know that we are just excited and we're not empty today. We're full because of him. Father God, we love you. I pray as we sing these songs that, God, you will just, um, 
receive all glory, all honor. In your name we pray. Amen.